Hi there, welcome back to another episode of Ask Lattice. Uh, we have on our brand new Ask, I want to call it the Ask Sofa. The Ask Sofa. <laughs> the beige Ask Sofa. I have Maddie next to me today because we are going to be doing a little bit of a different um, set of questions today. These are very much more directed towards the female athlete. And we pose these questions out to our Lattice Women's Facebook community page um, in the last 24 hours and asked a load of questions about um, what you want for in terms of questions answered about long-term athletic progression, health, performance associated around climbing and training and that combination. And there are loads of different interesting questions that came, came back and we've got quite a broad... Yeah, I think we have sort of covering a bit of a spectrum from sort of mindset and maybe the more mental aspect to training and longevity in climbing because of course like motivation and our approach is really important there to a little bit more of the the physical in terms of progression but also injury prevention yeah it's quite a multi-faceted topic I think yeah it's, it's gonna be good going through <laughs> yeah. today um so uh we've got five questions um and we'll just kind of like work through the list and uh, myself and Maddie will both give our opinions on them as coaches and both working with female athletes um and we'll try and adjust across the age ranges as well yeah yeah and although obviously I'm female and Tom is clearly not I think we both have experiences across the range we're going to be looking at some different life stages like kids as well as like career changes so yeah I think we both definitely got something to add there Okay, so let's go for, oh, this first one is about mindset, yep. and we do like a bit of mindset stuff, <laughs> um, is what do we think um, about um, the one, in a, put two parts here, comparison to others, so how we might compare ourselves to other climbers. So for women, that might well be comparing yourself to other female climbers or to men, and how your rate of progression occurs, and particularly the sort of the tub, the subject that comes up on this is lot is in strength gains and whether those are quite different across men and women. Should we be doing that? Yeah, so I guess um, just to tackle them one at a time, because although they both come under mindset, I do think that they've got sort of slightly different approaches. And I think the comparison to others is really interesting, partly because I think it's quite often sort of coined as a negative thing, you know, and um, I don't necessarily think it has to be and I guess that's the approach that I think is quite useful in developing a mindset that means that when you go to the wall and maybe you're training on a board with some male climbing friends because one thing that's really nice about climbing I think is that it's often quite a diverse group of people you might be training with. I train with men quite a lot and personally really enjoy it and I think that you can get quite a lot from it so I guess when we like look to compare ourselves to others, we could that could lead us down a bit of a negative sort of thought pathway, or we could just see it as a learning experience. And I guess that's that's the approach I personally take. You know, I think when you sort of learn something new from someone, it's often a bit of a comparison, isn't it? You know, you yeah. you might you look at them and you look at what they're doing, and you might look about at what you're doing and think, okay, if they're a bit better at that thing, maybe I want to try and do that thing more like them. But it, if you take a more objective approach, I don't think that has to be a negative thing. I think you can learn from it. And I think it, it becomes a negative thing when you feel like that thing, the point of comparison, sort of devalues your 
your other attributes. So I think the important thing for me, and I think that's really helpful, is to sort of remember what sort of strengths you have. You know, when you're looking at your relative strengths and weaknesses, mm -hmm. you know, and you're maybe comparing yourself to others on some of your relative weaknesses, which you can use as that learning experience. But remember your, your sort of positive attributes and your strengths as well. Don't let them get lost amidst the comparison. I think it's like a, it's, just, it's particularly like, I mean, me and you talk about this a lot about mindset is, is how you frame things. Mm. And being able to, especially if you're talking about comparison, I think it's just such a human thing to do. You, I mean, you climb with lots of other people inevitably. It's not like a solo sport. And so it's, it's natural to compare yourself to others. But if you can frame that up, even if it's your friends or just other people down the wall might be doing better with something or progressing differently as taking the into like a learning experience and going, yeah. what have they done to be able to achieve that? Could I take something away from that? Maybe you can't match up with them perfectly and adhere to their path of progression, but I think you can always learn something from it. And I think in addition to that as well is that um, if you're to stay in any sporting game a long time and have a sort of a happy life of progression through it, I think you do have to have a fairly uh, sort of strong, self-resilient uh, sort of core into how you just look at yourself in isolation and that you don't compare too much to others. Um, there's like a, a value to it, but don't overdo it um, because I think it's also important to just be, I guess, like set on your own path and go, yeah. this is why I'm doing this stuff. I've made these decisions and these choices. This is me. I'm responsible for that. And I'm going to enjoy my journey with it. Yeah, it's sort of looking at everything out there, comparisons or not, and being like, what is useful for my personal progression and mm. where I want to go? I guess from like a very practical standpoint, something that I get often is that I'm climbing with maybe my partner or some male friends or female friends on a, on a board, say a style that I'm not very good at. But I do know that getting better at that style will help me in some of my goals and the way in which I want to progress. So rather than comparing myself in very absolute terms to them, looking at them and thinking they are much stronger, I maybe look at what they're doing, their movement patterns, and I think, okay, how can I adjust that for the level that I'm at? Maybe I'll try a move like that with that movement pattern. But rather than getting maybe a bit frustrated or deflated trying the same move as them, you know, I change the foothold or a handhold, and I'm still trying to learn from, I guess, that initial comparison with them. But I just adjusted it to make it relative to me, and I think maybe that's quite an important step that often isn't done with comparison it's taken as quite like an absolute snapshot rather than as a part of a, a much bigger whole and then you got something out of it yeah and, and then you've got, got something out of it and the useful yeah. bit you take away and the non-useful sort of direct comparison you you just try and you know that I mean we will always struggle with that we like you said human nature is to compare yourself but I think if you can sort of take away from it the positives and slightly leave the negatives behind then yeah, overall, I think you can use it as something, a tool to progress your climbing. Yeah, nice one. Yeah. Okay, next one is um, around fear and anxiety in climbing. And this is sort of two scenarios here that we've got that brought, were brought up. Is one um, is with time off uh, after or during having kids. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is around sort of changes in career, changes in geographical location, where yeah. you just can't get to climbing, you've had a significant amount of time. How do we deal or how do we recommend that people deal with this? 
fear and anxiety, which inevitably does build when we come back to it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess um, I might just go for tackling like the second point there as something that I've had personal experience of. Um, And I think when it comes to changing careers and that sort of time off, um, whether that's kind of time restraint or, or maybe geographical restraint, if you're moving location, I guess I think there's like a few different elements here and one that's really important, especially in this discussion about longevity and sort of life as in climbing is identity. Mm. You know, I think one thing I personally found and I know from lots of friends and climbers I've worked with is that you think, oh no, I'm having loads of time off. I'm going to get weak and actually there's quite a big part that you forget to think about, which is that a lot of your identity is connected with climbing. Um, And I guess that was one of the things I really felt when you're used to spending a lot of your time doing something, it's part of your social scene. Um, I think that trying to sort of nurture that bit alongside your work is still really important. And I think what feeds into that is maybe taking into account the time restraints and maybe a reduction in strength just to sort of really enjoy that, that one weekend that you can get outside maybe it's a shift in mindset that you don't go and try some old project you were trying when you were climbing way more. Maybe you just go out and you make sure you still really enjoy that time, whatever that looks like, and that helps maintain that identity. And then from a sort of strength, maybe injury prevention point of view, I think it's a shift to, you know, and we talk about this a lot, a sort of like allostatic load, and that's an appreciation of the I guess the load, the stress it puts on you to be starting a new job, getting up at a different time than you usually get up, maybe working longer hours um, and realising that actually if you reduce the amount of climbing that you, or training that you do and you're time efficient with it, you can balance that out a little bit because I think the main error I think I see a lot of people make and I think you have too is that they try to maintain the same amount of training and climbing alongside this other shift in life rather than actually balancing the two out so maybe reducing the amount of overall climbing time in your week but doing some slightly more structured training alongside some free sort of climbing time for your sort of general identity I think is a really good way to go so I guess the main point is looking at what you're doing and not just trying to maintain what you're doing because I think that's what leads to frustration maybe injury um yeah and actually looking to balance those two out which I imagine maybe will be quite a similar approach for for starting a family yeah it's um I think that a point about like being realistic with stuff and getting the overall loading of what you can achieve and maintaining confidence because it is really easy to kind of beat yourself up if you're basically trying to achieve an impossible thing so if you're having kids or they're really young and that, that first six months especially is really, really difficult. Um, and whilst my kids are a little bit older now, I still remember that phase pretty well. Um, and if you try and maintain that exact same habit, mm. plus having kids and the change and the, the sleep, the food, being around the house, different, it's just, it just makes you beat down on yourself and you get dejected in it and you can lose confidence, you can become more anxious about your climbing and your performance. And I definitely found that it was my first child, I, was, I really struggled with this. The second one, I got it right because I finally, finally found the space to basically be more kind to myself, mm-hmm. to go, it's okay, this is occurring, I am not gonna be you know, really bold with my climbing, I, I'm going to naturally be scared of 
falling, even above like bolts at like yeah, yeah. a foot high because I'm barely you know, having time to get out. All I'm doing at the moment is doing some hangboarding in the house and a little bit of training at home. And as a result of being much kinder to myself and not beating myself up about the whole thing, when I then finally went outside afterwards, I just seemed to have like a much better transition mm. to it. Yeah, it's sort of, um, it's I think weird. we spoke about it before, not sort of building up, I guess, negative experiences yeah. during that time, which then could have a knock-on effect when your kids are a bit older or time is more free and available. Um, yeah, you don't have that knock-on sort of, yeah. It's, it's like it's setting the expectations and being yeah. realistic and being kind to yourself. Yeah. It's like that whole mixture, isn't it? Mm. I guess like something that I found really useful and be interesting to know what you think is that I guess obviously there's time where you might really look to push training and you're pushing volume and intensity, um, but there's times when really like a, a minimal dosing sort of approach to training and the sort of patience that comes with that is useful. And I guess I think that these two periods um, of time, like or anything that puts a lot of restriction on your time or isn't an added stress in life, that's really an important time to, to take that approach. Yeah, do you know what? I'm going to come back to that bit okay. a little bit later in some of the other, one of the later yeah. questions because I think that works perfectly within that. Okay, cool. Um, otherwise, we'll be, we'll be here. <laughs> me and you will be like two hours. It'll be like a two-hour-long YouTube <laughs> before you know it. Yeah. And we could definitely do three hours. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, right. Let's, let's, we've got to stay on track, Maddie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, <laughs> fingerboarding. Um, uh, someone was asking about um, in the group about um, is this uh, you know fingerboarding, bouldering, mm -hmm. are these the only methods or the method for gaining or maintaining finger strength? Uh, can it be done other ways? And uh, kind of add on to that as well is do we make some adjustments in that to do with age as well? So the approach that we take. Yeah. Um, so, so what do you sort of think about fingerboarding for the female? Athlete. Yeah, I mean, I think that fingerboarding has definite pros to it, um, especially when it comes to sort of time, facility, availability. I think we've all realised that recently, that having a fingerboard up in your house is a great sort of tool to have. And I think it is a really useful way of building finger strength alongside other training. Like, I guess I do consider it sort of a a supplementary exercise, I guess a little bit like conditioning. So it, in that sense, it's very much not a replacement for climbing. And, you know, it is an isometric hang. So there is a transition for that to a climbing specific thing of actually grabbing holds. You know, you don't all just, climbing moves aren't just hanging on. <laughs> you do still have to get between them. So I guess in that sense, I think it's not the um, sort of pinnacle of sort of climbing specificity as in sort of like bouldering but I think in terms of trying to build like a really good base of finger strength and maybe even some finger resilience like I think often people think of it as a um, you know a sort of high intensity training tool but I actually and this is from a personal point of view as well um, after a finger injury I actually started incorporating fingerboarding mm. not always being at the highest level of intensity but just to build a really good foundation of um, finger strength and that's something where I think um, we obviously don't have loads of data on injuries and but in a lot of other sports females do seem to suffer more sporting injuries so I guess from that point of view building a really strong foundation for any climber really I think the fingerboard can be a really good tool yeah yeah I, I mean 
I, I think I'm very much of the same opinion as mm. you that it's it's a tool. It's a really useful thing to use in addition and on top of all of your other climbing. I think it's a very important tool and uh, it's one that is very specific. It's very measurable. It's easy to kind of like track changes in it. And also it's just mega accessible for people that have busy lives or they're kind of all over the place. You can set them up, you know, in a portable manner uh, in your home at the gym. They're just really easy access, um, but you can't solve everything with them. Um, but I guess they are the one thing that I think leads into that is that um, being easily accessible and stuff is that you can build into this gradually. I guess we get asked about this a lot and not necessarily just for like our female climbers, but I think a lot of people wonder whether it's sort of appropriate for them, don't they? And like what level you need to be at. And of course, there is a certain level, I think, before you start using one. But I think with all the pictures out there of people doing one arm hangs and that is not sort of really the image of like a lot of fingerboard training, that it can be something that you build up really gradually and doesn't have to be, you don't have to be at this super strong level to, to use one and benefit from one. No, no, not at all. And it's, I mean, like if you just take that, um, the kind of age element question that got asked mm. within this in the group is that uh, I've trained junior climbers a lot over the last um, sort of decade or so. And I, myself and uh, you know the other lattice coaches and our sort of training history with working with junior athletes we are not um averse to using fingerboard training with junior female athletes male as well um and it's a really useful tool um we've had a lot of pushback from some of the european coaches on this and it's like a real topic of uh, contention but once you've spent enough years doing this in a really progressive uh, sub-maximal manner and with lots and lots of different athletes both in a testing and a training scenario you tend to have quite a high confidence in a method so I would say as for the sort of foundational years of um, any athlete especially when you're building those levels of basic strength in the fingers it's a really really useful tool to use and I'm not um, the type of coach that says, oh, no, 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 you shouldn't be doing fingerboarding as a junior athlete um, until you've reached, you know, 18, 19 years old. You can definitely, or I'm not going to say definitely, but in the right circumstance, under the right supervision with your coach, this is a tool that you should be looking at and discussing. And I'm not, uh, uh, you know, highly averse to it, unlike a few things like uh, dynamic campus board work. Um, I'm a lot, lot more cautious on that. Um, what's your kind of um, thoughts on the um, perimenopausal, menopausal stage, Maddie? Yeah, so I guess um, as with any sort of shift in life stage, often something to be sort of just take into account with deciding whether anything is appropriate for you is just, have you done it before? Like things are changing during the sort of perimenopause which can be up to 10 years and obviously for a lot of women this comes with numerous symptoms but also um, makes it harder to build muscle mass and strength so this is something that you really want to maintain in climbing it is a very strength centered sport really you know compared to endurance cycling and running so maintaining strength I think should really be a focus for, for women in this age category but then there's, of course, OK, how do you do it and what have you done before? Because I think something that a lot of people questions, people pose for this age category is like, can I still make strength gains? Mm. And 
to be honest, I think the answer is probably yes, because when we actually look at what a lot of climbers have done leading up to that point, have they optimised their training? Have they tried these different methods? And fingerboarding is one of the things that you could try. And I think the main point is a little bit like you've said with the juniors, is that if this is a new thing for you, like with any other like method of training, it's to build it up gradually, go for some progressive loading. And probably for that sort of perimenopausal category is just to be probably aware of what you're doing alongside it. I think during this phase, due to the shift in sort of hormone levels, recovery times for like high intensity training can increase. So you might just want to spread those sessions out a little bit more and be really sort of on top of your protein intake and recovery around training in general but that fingerboarding could definitely be part of this. And then I guess the, just the one thing I know that, and I think this goes for aging in general, is things like the shoulders, which might take a bit of a beating and obviously doing a lot of fingerboarding in that sort of arm over, overhead arm position might be something you want to be aware of if you're doing it alongside other um, training. I know that like shoulder injuries during this period can be a problem. And there's things like using... The, the pinch block and edge hangs sort of by your side instead could be a really good way to sort of separate out the components of your training, I think is a good approach during the, the perimenopause to like focus on strength, but to make your sessions quite targeted. And maybe for the fingers, that could mean doing them by your side so that you can work your shoulders in a different session. Yeah, yeah. I think um, uh, if uh, anyone who's uh, watching or listening um, is interested in some of the sort of training methodology and uh, the ways in which we're working with the, the older athletes. So we're talking um, in the broadest possible category, um, sort of uh, late 40s, 50s, 60s, um, is we have a uh, YouTube video. Um, we'll put it into the link in the description below that we've already filmed on this subject matter. So you can do a whole load of more extra sort of listening uh, and swatting up on that kind of area. Um, there's another sort of 20 minutes or so of uh, viewing on that stuff. So yeah. more, more to look on that as yeah. well. Um, okay, next one is uh, training versus maintenance. So that whole thing of like... It's a good summer topic. How do we, how do we balance it? Um, yeah, good summer know, topic, just, except we were talking about how bad the conditions are in the peak. So yeah. maybe it's just a good time to train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, do we chuck it all? Do we just, <laughs> do we just abandon all, yeah. all training... <laughs> Fingerboard like in the totally. skip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think this, in terms of actually progressing year on year, I think that this is a really important thing to think about because, and then a really important distinction to make. So moving from a sort of training phase to a maintenance phase, in my mind, does a couple of things. I think it allows for sort of periodization through the year of sort of mentality, like you're not always in a training phase or always in a performing phase. And I think that, that that's actually really nice. You know, training's coming to an end. Your motivation is waning for that. And you can really gear up for your, your projects or your outdoor climbing. Similarly, when you move back to training, you don't have to be really on it for every climbing session. You can just like apply yourself to your training. So, so personally, I think that that's something that's really nice. But I guess the question is, do you just move outdoors and just Ditch everything. And I think that's where if you're wanting to make progress year on year um, in a, this sort of steady way, 
then you do want to maybe maintain a little bit, especially over longer seasons. Like I guess, you know, in the Peak District, people might be climbing outside for five months even, you know, if the, yeah, yeah. the weather permits. And I guess the problem is if, is if you don't maintain anything, then when you go back to training, and I know I've experienced this, <laughs> there is a slight feeling of being back at square one um, and really having to sort of start with a phase where you're simply trying to get yourself back to being training ready. Um, whereas I think if you can choose to maintain a little bit and schedule that so that you can still perform on your outdoor days, then then you don't you don't get that and you can make better progress. Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, it's particularly relevant for our female athletes that we work with that um, if we if we sort of like profile them and work through the kind of the types of um, training that they have a, a focus on mm. through the work that they do with us, it often has a strength focus. Yeah. And I always think that if you were to kind of put your hat in one area and go, mm. right, what's the one thing that you would want to maintain in that time when you're trying to perform outside? And it might just be a couple of sessions, really high quality through the week mm. whilst you're going outside would be that really mm-hmm. short, high intensity, yeah. high quality work. Because yeah. that's I, I I always see that with any of the athletes I've worked with over the years that the and it's whether it's junior female athletes or a thirty five year old female athlete mm. it's the strength element yeah. it's the one that seems to just dip off quite quickly yeah um, and it needs the greatest maintenance just in the background yeah and I think like you said from us working with lots of females and myself included this this is often an area we see that will be a focus in training and. I think what can be a little bit um, or feel a little bit overwhelming when it comes to maintaining alongside outdoors is that it just feels like a lot. You know, you're you're wanting to focus on your project and you're sort of trying to fit this training in as well. But there's sort of something on our side here, really, that strength training is quite short, succinct sessions. Like you said, keep them high quality to maintain. They don't even have to be at your maximal maximal effort you know just because you're going out to the crag and you're giving it a hundred percent on your on your red point doesn't mean you have to be failing on your three reps of max weighted pull-ups you can you just you just sit a bit below that so you are completing them to a high level and you're looking to maintain and I think that's what maybe where the sort of issues come in when people try and maintain is that they sort of because they're in projecting mode I think with their strength maintenance work, they sort of apply the same all out 100% mindset. And then actually you just feel fatigued for your outdoor project. So you better get a bit demotivated with the training sort of understandably. So yeah, I think it's realizing that maintaining strength is, is for most people the important thing, but that that doesn't have to be done at 100%. That yeah, can or be with, done. Or like failure and doing like yeah. these massive, long, exhaustive sessions. Mm. Um, you can still do really good quality, high quality strength work, which avoids failure. Yes, you'll struggle with the overload element and mm. over time you will hit up against a greater and greater barrier for actual progression in it. Mm. But you can use maintenance cycles for a long time in that manner. Yeah. Um, and it's like, um, like I've seen, I mean, I do it and I've seen other people do it, is that the crag is using some very basic uh, high intensity fingerboard work as part of your warm up yeah. to start yeah. your day off, and it actually works really well as maintenance. Yeah, yeah. And you like sneakily get it in because it's <laughs> yeah. like part of your warm up, but it's not exhausting, but it maintains top levels of finger strength. Yeah, and it could even be that I mean, finger strength's one example, or it might be pull strength, and I guess it's also just for for any individual 
to really sort of maybe pinpoint what that thing is that is really important from them to maintain because you can't maintain everything like and I guess both of us will know and we would happily like share this is that when you come back to training a number of aspects will have dropped Mm. they will have suffered a bit and that's okay but if you the things that you think for me progressing in these areas is what is going to allow me to like you know get better as a climber year on year so it might be your pull strength it might be your finger strength maybe really hone in on those so that it isn't an overwhelming sort of juggle of trying to fit everything in okay last one Cool. And I'm gonna. I'm just gonna let you answer this one. Yeah. Because I uh, don't know enough about it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all on you, Maddie. Okay. Okay. Last question is: um, uh, What do you think about the balance? And you touched on this a little bit earlier on, um, but the balance between strength and endurance training around that perimenopausal menopausal stage of a female athlete's um, uh, career climbing climbing progression. Yeah, so, yeah, like you said, we've touched on this a little bit, but I think it is really important to sort of emphasise the focus on strength training here. And I guess also to slightly, um, we say perimenopausal and the age that that starts at is very individual, quite a broad range for different women, but that really when I'm talking about starting to focus on strength and build up muscle mass, we're talking sort of early 40s, like in terms of the change in our hormone levels, this this actually could start as early as then. Um, you know, I think people think that like maybe the menopause is like a, a day. It's like it's like this sudden shift, but it's really like a long process that will happen over years. So I guess one thing in that could be worth considering in this sort of longevity and maintaining climbing and strength um, and sort of general physical health throughout this stage is to start early and... When I say focus on strength training, we sort of touched on it with um, fingerboarding, but I guess what a lot of people will notice going through this phase is a decline in muscle mass. It's Mm. just with the falling estrogen, it becomes really hard to maintain that. Obviously, that also comes with um, a reduction in bone density. But I guess when we're thinking about like our strength, um, we're, we're often wanting to maintain our muscle mass. And to do that in maybe quite a simple and targeted way so that we can sort of accommodate training throughout this phase when recovery is, I guess, you know, it's becoming a slightly more lengthy process to recover from this high intensity training, but that that, that should still be the, the focus. And I guess when we come think about building muscle mass, we think about cycling sort of hypertrophy through to sort of max strength sets and reps with with sort of weighted exercises and I think something that's quite useful for this is that it is very targeted and the stimulus can be achieved in quite a short short period of time and so I think introducing that into your training is a good way to go for any female sort of approaching that kind of that kind of age category yeah yeah and then I guess there's just sort of supporting that high intensity training with an increased sort of protein intake which is actually the same for any aging person our sort of sensitivity to the our sort of leucine which is just sort of like I guess um the button that you hope to switch on when it comes to muscle protein synthesis gets a bit less sensitive so you need to give it a little bit more to to get that process going and that would be a general a general point for everyone 
But I guess personally, I think building that muscle mass for, for strength, but also for sort of resilience and um, injury prevention is, yeah, a good process to start early. So with regards to the strength training around that perimenopausal stage, what kind of sort of uh, loading and progression are we talking about uh, for these kind of athletes? What's it, what's it look like if they're going to do this? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because in terms of like practical take-homes from this, it's pretty easy to be like, oh, you should focus on strength training, but where do you actually start? And I guess for a lot of um, climbers, if they're looking to work on their upper body with weights, it's worth noting that there'll probably be a bit of a learning phase because when we talk about like hypertrophy or strength training, it's quite a high intensity. So you want to feel comfortable with whatever the exercise is, say it's weighted pull-ups, you're not just going to start with your max weighted pull-up. You want to build into this and that'll also help with confidence, but also injury prevention as you gradually load into that. And then I think an important point to take from there is that we often want to go for probably a minimal dosing effect um, or approach during this time. Like I said, recovery can be reduced due to all the changing hormone levels. And so... What we mean by minimal dosing is, you know, doing some sort of training protocol for a few weeks, monitoring your progress and seeing where that leaves you and seeing if it works for you so that you don't overdo it. So don't just suddenly start with kind of eight exercises a week, maybe start with four and then four weeks down the line, see if you've improved in those exercises. So and build taking on it. A, a very simple focused approach to make an assessment yeah. first. Yeah, and I guess something that that allows you to do as well is to be more focused. So I think it's important at this sort of stage of life not to spread yourself too thin because it might be a bit harder to make those strength gains and build that muscle mass. You don't want to introduce strength training and have like six different exercises that you do once in a week. Maybe you want to focus in on two to three and actually do them three times a week and then four weeks down the line see where you are have you made progress in which case you can either just continue and increase the loading or you could add a little bit more volume and if you haven't made progress then it's time to look a little bit at your recovery maybe drop it a bit or change the exercises yeah well, thanks for that Riley. That, was, that was great um and you know this is this does come down to you know a philosophy of trying to support athletes in a long-term mm. career in climbing and it's not just you know five years, burn bright, have a great time, and then yeah. be out of it, injured, demoralized, demotivated, <laughs> etc. Um, in kind of addition to what a lot of stuff that um, Maddie and I have been talking about, um, you can also get access to additional materials and kind of conversation and, and support and this sort of stuff um, through one is our webinar series that we have um, on the website. And there is a um, female uh, athlete-specific webinar that you can find on the website that uh, Maddie and Ella and I think Ollie also mm -hmm. ran with them. So there's a three. So you can um, uh, view and see that. Um, and then also both myself, Maddie, um, Mina, who's a nutritionist, and Tim, who's a um, private physio, are active within our daily 365 um, Facebook group as well. So if you want additional support on these kind of topics, you can be in there every day asking more questions about this sort of stuff and have further support from us. But otherwise, I hope you've enjoyed today. Um, it's been great chatting the way to Maddie um, and 
we'll be doing some more filming later on today. So more episodes coming from us and we will catch you very soon. Thank you.